When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Democracy is at stake, and we have to have alliances of people that strongly disagree on everything but that fact. Inflation's not going to be a problem. Inflation will moderate. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. It would be insanity if the Democrats don't do something on Build Back Better. Pennsylvania, one of the closest states in the 2020 election, will be critical for deciding which party controls the Senate after 2022. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's fire hose time once again in Washington. Good thing we have the fastest hour in politics. Welcome. As the Biden administration launches a new round of talks with Russia, President Biden making the big push on voting rights tomorrow. The Fed chair and vice chair, at least the nominee, sit for confirmation hearings And Build Back Better is still smoldering. All this week and coming up, we'll be joined by Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst at Raymond James, to discuss the domestic side of things. Later, we're joined by Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the U.N., former ambassador to Russia, to get into today's talks in Geneva. The signature panel in place to start the week. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano is here, along with Rick Davis for the hour. So tomorrow should be an adventure for Jay Powell uh, with the confirmation hearing against the backdrop of rising inflation, as Doug just said himself. It's kind of all we're talking about these days here. Major worry in the stock market despite today's recovery. Add COVID and a midterm election year probably means a lot of grandstanding over the course of this week. As Doug mentioned, we got a little peek at the testimony It's on the terminal if you want to take a look. Fed policy must take a broad and forward-looking view. We'll use tools to support economy and strong job market. We'll stop higher inflation from getting entrenched. Of course, the big inflation report is out the following day. Then Lael Brainerd has her confirmation hearing the day after that. Brainerd, man, testify after the consumer prices report out. That, That should be a good time. We're joined to start the hour by Ed Mills, who's been watching all of this from his perch as Washington Policy Analyst, Managing Director at Raymond James. We thank you for being here, Ed. Uh, You write in your latest research note that you expect lawmakers to focus on inflation more than regulation. Is that good or bad news for Jay Powell, considering the news we have on Mr. Clarida today? Joe, Jay Powell is getting confirmed, and his job is to give Republicans a reason to stick with him, Mm -hmm. a reason to vote for his reconfirmation. If you are Jay Powell, you're talking about inflation. You're talking about what you're going to do next. Um, Regulatory policy, that's important, but that will be once there's a vice chair of supervision chosen. 
uh, that's for a future hearing. And that's going to be a doozy, I'm sure. Uh, just considering, though, is I, is there's there's pent-up emotions here, Ed. Lawmakers have been yelling about inflation, namely Republicans, for months and months. We watched Build Back Better kind of fall apart at the end of the year, and I'm going to ask you about where that's going here. But this has been uh, market-moving. A lot of opinions have evolved on inflation, and everybody wants to film a commercial tomorrow, right? Yeah, and that's what we always see in confirmation hearings. And I think that's part of why you had the Powell pivot uh, late last year. He gave Congress exactly what they were looking for, gave a preview of what you would expect. Uh, The real question to me is how data dependent the Fed will be going forward and how much the other picks that uh, President Biden has for the Fed will influence his ability to raise rates. I certainly expect him to be aggressive. But when you get the additional three nominations out there and confirmed to the board, I think that's where some of this uh, kind of edge comes off, some of the aggressiveness that you'll hear from Powell and aggressiveness that you'll hear from the senators tomorrow. Sure. This news from Richard Clarida, though, leaving two weeks early, uh, you know, resigning from the Board of Governors just gives massive ammo to Elizabeth Warren, right? That's going to be that's going to be her focus tomorrow as she tries to to make Jay Powell seem like, once again, a dangerous man. And she had these concerns before. She has already said that she is not going to vote for him, Joe. So, yeah. so um, nothing it, changes it was there. Something that yeah, there's not a lot of change. I think it is um, raises questions about how much the Fed was transparent about uh, Clarida's trading beforehand, how much of it is a one-off event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will put pressure on Powell to follow through with the trading restrictions that the Fed announced uh, late last year. And there is a policy that he's going to be able to point to saying, going forward, That's this right. is how we should do it. He should have done it earlier, uh, but he does not need her vote, which is a good thing for him. Brainerd is not Powell. How different will her confirmation hearing be? I think it will be similar. I think people will want to understand exactly what she plans to do as vice chair She made a name for herself over the last several years, Joe, on regulatory policies. But that was really, in my mind, signaling to Democrats that she was much more aligned with their goals. Um, Certainly, you mentioned that she's going to testify after we get the CPI uh, print. So once again, she does get the short end of the stick. I'm also very interested interested to see uh, the testimony of Sandra Thompson, which she will share the confirmation hearing with, who's going to lead up FHFA the regulator of housing in this country. So we'll get some regulation there in housing policy, as well as her confirmation hearing on Thursday. Both easily confirmed, it sounds like, in your view. It's not going to be an issue. I think they're going to try to move them together. We'll get them later this month. Okay. Uh, In terms of the other three, we had Brian Deese on the broadcast on Friday. Very similar answer that Jen Psaki gave today uh, when asked in the briefing room, and there's really no news there. Do we think that one of the nominees for these three open seats has yet to be uh, settled on, or is somebody running into an issue with vetting? You know, it's been the biggest question of the Biden presidency is what is taking so long with a lot of these nominations. It is my expectation that Sarah Bloom Raskin will become the nominee for vice chair supervision. It seems very likely Lisa Cook will be uh, one of the governors, as well as Philip Jefferson as the uh, third uh, selection. Um, but it does take paperwork. These are very complicated processes. Uh, with a 50-50 Senate, you want to make sure you have everyone on board before you announce it. 
looking back at Sarah Bloom Raskin's prior two confirmations, she was voted in by a voice vote. So almost, you could say, unanimous. Uh, It's Mm. not going to be a voice vote this time, but certainly uh, far less controversial than some of the other names discussed as vice chair supervision. Ed Mills, let's turn to the uh, legislative agenda here. President Biden's leaving the bubble again tomorrow and headed for Georgia and and all by design. We haven't gotten a list of names yet, but uh, we know he's on his way there to talk about voting rights legislation. This is the big pivot away from Build Back Better, at least for now. Uh, The aforementioned press secretary, Jen Psaki, says the president will articulate his support for changing the filibuster. That was one little nugget we got in the briefing today, and she spoke more broadly about what to expect from him tomorrow. Here's Saki. Everyone is going to have to take a hard look at where they want to be uh, at this moment in history as we're looking at efforts across the country to, uh, pr- to prevent people from being able to exercise their fundamental rights. This is coming off of uh, the January 6th speech here. This does appear, Ed, to be the priority uh, for now. But, well, does this guy named Joe Manchin who uh, was an issue with Build Back Better. looks like he will be with this as well when it comes to changing filibuster rules. Is this going nowhere, Ed? Is this just a matter of getting the troops rallied in a midterm election year? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that second point, Joe, because I think that's what a lot of this is about. Fundamentally, these are really important issues for the country, really important issues for Democrats, um, but they don't have the vote. So they are going to send a message to the base that says, here is why... uh, Democrats should show up and vote in November. If we had one more vote, two more votes, this is what Democrats would say. Here's what we would do. Unfortunately, uh, for Democrats, they don't have the votes right now. There is a small chance that you could get some changes. uh, But Manchin says that he would only do that on a bipartisan basis. There is no Republican voting for any of these changes. I'm just struck by how consistent people are in answering that question. Is this then uh, just election year theater? This is what we do in D.C. Um, you know, and I, <laughs> I get it. it. I'm just making sure <laughs> I mean, here, Ed. No, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's fundamental. It's, it's interesting to me. I, I had a conversation a couple months ago with a former head of the Congressional Black Caucus. And when I was talking to him about Build Back Better, he wanted to talk about voting rights. Yeah. For individual members, for individual senators, there is no more important issue than voting rights. So around the MLK holiday uh, in the state of Georgia, uh, key to kind of some of the civil rights era, they are seeing this as their last big push to get this done. It does not look like it will happen. But just because it can't happen in politics doesn't mean that's why you don't push for it. You have well, to right. try to do the impossible because that's what they were elected to do. Well, that's right. You Look, you've got principle involved, and if this thing fails, it's going to be a big motivator, I suspect the, the president is hoping here. Uh, you've put another date out there in your in your most recent note to clients, that's March 1. That's State of the Union. Uh, Ed Mills, you have not walked away from Build Back Better. Uh, in fact, you say it will get a, a renewal in attention ahead of the State of the Union address. I'm assuming that this thing would come out in a much different form, though, if it were to reemerge. Yeah, so um, that is the new target date in our minds. Um, get through some of the, the peak of the Omicron variant. Mm-hmm. Get through this fight on voting rights uh, and on the filibuster and try by March 1st, when uh, the president has his State of the Union address, to get a deal struck with Senator Manchin. It will be an interesting dynamic to play out as if it is Manchin once again preventing those voting rights changes. 
Uh, does that further sour the relationship, or are they getting to say, you know, if you're not doing this, at they least give us, give us what you said you're okay with on uh, Build Back Better? Progressives have to further downgrade their expectations, but the sense that I get from all conversations in D.C. is the expectation is still there that something gets done. Child tax credit looming along with that February 18th uh, expiration of government funding. So once again, we've got a couple of things to figure out and a real pleasure to talk this out with Ed Mills, Washington policy analyst and managing director at Raymond James. No stranger to our airways, but Ed, I'd love to have you back again soon as we keep an eye on the agenda. A Washington insider to get us started. We've got two more on the way. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel on a Monday. And I should note, you'll be hearing the president speak tomorrow in Georgia. We'll have much more of that for you here on Sound On. Markets, traffic ahead. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Voting rights on this week's agenda in Congress as I read from Bloomberg government with the second session of the 117th Congress getting underway officially in the U.S. House joining the Senate that was back to it last week. As we just talked with Ed Mills, Democrats in the Senate have big plans to pursue efforts to advance voting rights legislation. The majority leader Chuck Schumer gearing up for a high stakes floor battle, planning to use most of the days leading up to the Martin Luther King Jr. recess in an effort to shore up the Voting Rights Act of 1965. But then there's Joe Manchin. And let's not forget Kirsten Cinema. She always gets away with, uh, right? Didn't Joe Manchin? He's always getting blamed for this. They're completely aligned on not tinkering with the filibuster. And so if we can hear from Jen Psaki, this is another part of the conversation today in the, the White House briefing. Uh, she's talking about voting rights as a concept, not very controversial all that long ago. And even reference Mitch McConnell's former support for at least approaching this issue. Here's White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki again. 
2004, Leader McConnell, I cannot think of any reason why anyone on either side of the aisle would oppose the protection of the franchise of all Americans. 2006, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 represents one of this country's greatest steps forward. Obviously, I rise today in support of its reauthorization. But not on board like that now. And so, I don't know, do we even ask if there could be some Republican support for this? It sure doesn't seem like it. But President Biden is traveling to Georgia tomorrow to start beating the drum. They say they need all the support they can get. As we assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. Jeannie, what's your thought on this? As we talked about it with Ed Mills, is this a vanity project for Democrats to get the fever going here in an election cycle? Or might there actually be something that could be passed that the president wants to propose tomorrow? Well, they're not going to get the big voting rights bills passed that Chuck Schumer is talking about. But the president is going to flee Washington as Congress comes back and he's going to use his bully pulpit and he's going to try to persuade, starting with these voters in Georgia and across the nation, that we do need voting rights and a voting rights bill. He is right about that. The problem is Democrats, as we've talked about and you were just talking about, simply don't have the votes to get it done. But the president is banking on the fact that they've it's a key battleground state. There's mm-hmm. been a lot of questions about voting in Georgia and across the country. And he's going to go there, you know, and talk about this for the next week through Martin Luther King Day. But again, they simply don't have the big numbers they need in Congress, particularly mm-hmm. the Senate, to get the big bill passed that Chuck Schumer is talking about. So I have less questions about what Biden is doing than what Schumer is doing. Interesting. So, yeah, what's your thought on that here, uh, Rick? They say this is what the, the bully pulpit is for. But does does Joe Biden read this any differently than, than the rest of us? He realizes that the votes are not there. Does he expect this speech to change minds tomorrow? Or is this about being caught in the act? Doing no, I something I, right. I don't think you'll hear any advocacy. Uh, I think you'll hear um, uh, the bully pulpit, right? Exactly what you described. I think that he is being very deferential to Representative Clyburn, who this is one of his top priorities. Uh, he would not be president of the United States today without uh, Representative Clyburn's support right. during the primaries. And, and this is good to get his base stoked up, uh, especially at a time right after January 6th when he took hard shots at Donald Trump. This is sort of in line with protecting our democracy and fueling a big Democratic turnout for 2022. So this has, I think, zero to do with Congress and everything to do with the Democratic prospects in the midterms. So the payoff then is next November. The payoff would be in November, uh, where he would hope that this is the kind of issue that would get Democrats excited. And exactly how you were talking earlier with uh, with Ed, um, uh, maybe pick up a couple seats in the Senate so you could actually yeah. do something about it. Yeah, boy, not like, you know, we don't have a lot of other stuff to get done here, Jeannie. Is this the best way to spend time? And it may be. You know, look, politically speaking, this might be the, the time to start lighting fires if you're if you're the Democratic president here looking at, uh, at a difficult midterm election cycle. But we had this thing called Build Back Better that was a really big priority before the new year, and that's not getting any attention this week now. 
Yeah, and, and the president, look, this is critical to his base, and he needs to be able to do more than one thing. So, yes, get his base excited, talk about voting rights. But, I, you know, my concern is that Democrats also have to understand that for the base, this is critically important. For most Americans, they are much more concerned about, number one, the pandemic, and number two, the economy and issues like inflation. So, yes, they've got to push for voting rights. They're not going to get it through Congress, but they've got to talk about it. It. And then they've got to focus on the pandemic, number one, and inflation, jobs, and the economy, number two, because that's what people are voting on. You look at the polls. I love to talk about the health and state, you know, state of American democracy, but people are not going to vote on that in November. And if this is going to be one in the independent, moderate swing districts, they need to focus on those those issues that people care about. Yeah, well, if there's something here. If there's something here when you get the passion from Jeannie, voting rights, you'll hear a lot more about it tomorrow. As we turn to the situation with Russia next and a conversation I'm looking forward to, former Ambassador Thomas Pickering with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. We'll have him live next. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, U.S. and Russia bow to keep talking as their differences persist. Today in Geneva was the first of three rounds this week. Today, between Russia's deputy foreign minister and our deputy secretary of state, that'll be followed by a NATO-Russia meeting Wednesday in Brussels and then Thursday, a meeting of the Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe that happens in Vienna. Will they be enough to avoid war in Ukraine? We'll talk about it next with Thomas Pickering, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., was also ambassador to the Russian Federation. The meeting today lasted eight hours. Imagine, is that right? Eight hours? sitting with Russia's deputy foreign minister and the world waiting for results. The reality today for U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman met in Geneva, as I mentioned, with her Russian counterpart, Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Rabkov. Both spoke optimistically, actually pretty positive with the spin uh, when they emerged. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki asked about it, as you would expect, telling reporters today in the briefing room, Russia has a clear choice here. He can take the path to diplomacy. There's two more rounds of talks this week. We've seen them as a package of three, which I think they also reiterated from their side. Uh, Or there's a path of escalation. We are certainly hopeful that uh, the path to diplomacy is the path uh, that they will take. Stakes are high, and that's where we start with Thomas Pickering. I'm so glad we have him back today, the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., also former ambassador to Russia, among several other nations during his career in the U.S. Foreign Service. Mr. Ambassador, welcome back. How worried should we be about Russia? There's no chance now that we should put aside all worries. On the other hand, the beginning of diplomatic contacts in this intensive way is a hopeful sign, but not an answer to the problem. That will, in my humble view, take a long time. I know both of these people very well. They're both very serious. They're both studied, deeply conscious, well-experienced diplomats. They will defend the interests of their own country 
while at the same time they spend the time necessary to look for the openings that are there despite what we know to be the hard words that are always exchanged yeah. in the opening meetings of this sort. What does progress look like for the U.S. ambassador? What could Vladimir Putin do to make the U.S. happy here, for lack of a better word? Would it be actually moving troops away from the border? That would be one of the things. Another would be the adoption of some form of the Minsk II agreement on Ukraine in terms of Russian activities inside Ukraine. Uh, And certainly there would be on the Russian side a serious interest in some kind of standstill in the growth or movement of NATO to the east. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned you know these uh, two these two gentlemen, Putin, Biden. Does Vladimir Putin respect Joe Biden? Well, I know Biden and Putin, but not nearly as well as I know the two diplomats. But mm-hmm. I believe there is respect. The fact that the two have had now Uh, a summit and several successive important calls setting up this diplomatic process is a significant indication of the fact that both of them treat each other as serious players and that both of them are seeking through the diplomatic process hopefully to get an answer rather than necessarily a stalemate in this problem. You meant Sherman and Rabkoff in your first reference. I understand that now. Are they the right people to have in the room? Yes, they are. They're both uh, uh, second most senior in Russia and the United States in the diplomatic establishment. They're both very serious people. They're both very knowledgeable people. They both have had uh, lots of diplomatic experience. Ambassador, President Biden had said there are red lines, namely the red line is is the, is promising Ukraine will never join NATO. It says it's not going to happen. Are red lines smart at this stage? Didn't Vladimir Putin learn otherwise when he annexed Crimea? Red lines are red lines. They indicate the distance which the other side is not currently prepared to go. Uh, Often the arrangements that result are worked out around red lines, and sometimes because red lines can move on both sides, they're worked out in ways that in one way or another cross the red line, but with significant advantages on both sides to justify doing that. We're much too early to be talking about anything like that, Although clearly uh, some movement in both sides in each of these particular areas that we talked about a minute ago would be very helpful for improving the atmosphere and opening the door for further steps. But in traditional diplomacy, that often takes a great deal of time. And certainly one meeting at the beginning of a process is very rarely a solution to the difficulty. I asked you if you thought Putin uh, had respect for Joe Biden. Some are suggesting that Vladimir Putin is asking for things he knows he cannot get, like the, the, the red line on Ukraine. He knows the U.S. will not promise something like that. So therefore, we'll have his demands rejected 
and therefore justify military action domestically when, you know, however this plays with the people of Russia. Are, are you that cynical, Ambassador, to view it this way? Well, I would suggest you ask for everything you want, whether you know you will get it or not, and both sides start a negotiation that way. Mm-hmm. That way they have put on the table uh, an outline of what they hope to achieve, even if at the end they expect the real achievement will be something less. But having, put it this way, pretty vast aspirations at the beginning is seen to be a useful way uh, to buttress your capacity to get as much as possible at the end. Thomas Pickering, former ambassador to the United Nations, ambassador to Russia, India, Israel, Nigeria, Jordan, and El Salvador. It's the longest business card in the Foreign Service. And we're delighted as ever, ambassador, to have you here on Sound On. Now I'm dying to know what was on in the background. All right, we reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie with us on Russia and the U.S. on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. And so the U.S. and Russia vow to keep talking, and they will have an opportunity to do so. Of course, we've got two more sessions this week, not one-on-one quite like this, but we'll have the big NATO meeting on Wednesday and then another session in Vienna on Thursday as we try to figure out what's going on here. No one is expecting any major breakthroughs this week, but not that much time can go on. And to that end, we reassemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis what do you think, uh, Rick, about today's at least the, this first of three sessions here? The headlines that came out of this meeting were actually pretty positive. I know you have pretty strong feelings about Vladimir Putin uh, and, and when, it, when it comes to our relationship with Russia in general. And so I would ask you, what does progress look like? As I asked Ambassador Pickering, is it actually the withdrawal of troops or are there, are there more bite-sized pieces that we should look for here? Uh, I think right now, as uh, Ambassador Pickering said, uh, I think you can construe not having an invasion right now as progress, right? I mean, that was sort of <laughs> where we cool. started the month. And, and and I think that the fact that those troops are still on the Russian side of the border is a good thing. And I think 
Uh, the fact that we now have this in a structured process with two pros uh, from both sides, as, uh, as Ambassador Pickering mentioned, actually is a refreshing departure from the four years of Donald Trump's negotiating style, where there was no process, there was no strategy. It was just whatever he put out on Twitter that day and, you know, frankly, advantaged Vladimir Putin. So uh, this hopefully will result in something, but I don't think we should be in any hurry. Uh, every single day, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's got to pay those guys who are on a uh, snow swept border, you know, to keep sober yeah. and uh, and be ready for a, an invasion. And that's that's a heavy lift if you're the Russian president. That would be the that would be the force prone to drunkenness and sloth, I believe. Right, Rick Davis? I, I If that's a quote, you can you can count <laughs> okay. me in on that. <laughs> that's right. We will not pull out the, the gas station with no, we won't do that either. But uh, Jeannie, are these the two right people to have in the room? Maybe this should never be Biden Putin. Uh, doesn't that lower the temperature and allow more to get done on the deputy level like this? It does. And, and they are the right people to have in the room. And, and quite frankly, just having these talks is, is really important. And it is a step forward. As the ambassador was saying, you let everybody get out on the table exactly what they want, even if it is a non-starter, as the White House likes to say. Yeah. And you let them air that and you you respond to those things and you find some common ground. Maybe that ground is going to be on weapons. Maybe it's going to be on missiles. It, you know, according to the White House, it's certainly not going to be on Russia dictating who European countries can have as their allies or who NATO invites in. But you get that all out there, and that is a, an important step forward. So I yeah. think they are on the right track on this. The spin is is a riot. When you think of the stuff that we hear from, you know, from the meeting of presidents, uh, Rabkoff says, business-like and professional. Wendy Sherman said the talks were frank and forthright. Uh <laughs> What do we think the tone is in the room uh, for for this particular meeting, Rick? Because there was a lot of tough talk going into it. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of tough talk in the room itself, right? I mean, these are folks who understand this is not personal. This is a uh, kabuki theater uh, <laughs> where the more extreme and, and, and the more uh, flamboyant you can be in your description of the situation, the, the best you can press your case. Um, uh, it, the reason it took seven or eight hours is probably to cover one or two topics, and, and that's mm. because the theater requires that. Um, that's better than fighting. And so if you've got a choice between this kind of theater and troops crossing the border with armed weapons, uh, I go for theater every day. As I read uh, our story on the terminal here, there's a section just on exercises and missiles. To your point, Jeannie, this is uh, what we were talking about in part today. Not parking missiles on the border, I guess, is one thing. Uh, NATO restricting military exercises in a certain region is another. Which would be uh, a more meaningful gesture on our part, or does the U.S. hold the line on these? You know, I, I think they would welcome both of those. Um, I don't know that the U.S. and its European allies are going to get there or NATO is going to get there. But mm. I do think there is something to be said. There is a narrative in the West that, you know, Vladimir Putin has, you know, is completely, you know, off off the tracks here. But the reality is, to a certain extent, as you go back, the U.S. and, and NATO have to take some responsibility for what is going on there as you try to turn the Ukraine into a Western stronghold. This goes back well before Biden. Mm. Right. We are right on that. 
their border. If that was us and they were in Canada or Mexico, we might feel the same way. So I do think there is common ground to come to there. And we have to not be so fast to dismiss what this what the issues that Putin is raising, at least to a certain extent. Some of them are relevant. Would that make us, though, Rick Davis, look like we were sort of. Uh, uh, afraid of the the interceptions that 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 we were running back to the United States because we didn't want to intercept their jets or we didn't want to have uh, have to worry about their their ships in any particular region. This is normally what this is part of the drill, right? When NATO is out there, whether you're over Alaska or you're over uh, uh, parts of Asia, these things take place, and it's it's part of a cold war, I guess is what we should call it, right? Well, no. I mean, I, I'm not sure that we we're, we're describing the problem accurately. I mean, NATO is a unit of protection in countries that have free people, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason that Vladimir Putin is nervous about NATO on his border is because it's freedom versus, you know, authoritarianism. And he's having a hard time making authoritarianism stick. He's got problems in Kazakhstan where they're killing their own people. His folks in Belarus, Lukashenko, has been killing his own people. I mean, like this model isn't like panning out so well for the guy. So this is a distraction that he's trying to make to try and make NATO the boogeyman. NATO's there to protect free people. Ukraine wants to be free. It does not want to be a part of the new Vladimir Putin Soviet Union. And and, and we should be offering comfort and freedom to peoples all over the world, regardless of who's on their border. These are sovereign countries, and they should be able to make decisions on their own. How uh, cynical are we here, Jeannie, uh, uh, with the narrative that that Vladimir Putin has full intention of invading Ukraine and is is outlining demands that he knows Joe Biden will not meet to sort of justify that action? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. He say there was seems today like the idea that they are going to invade is not quite as, you know, likely to happen as it might have been yeah. yesterday. But, you know, I, I do think he is going to call Joe Biden on the fact that Joe Biden does not want to send troops and we don't want to send troops into the Ukraine. But there are other tools in the toolbox there. And the White House has been right to talk about those, including very serious sanctions. And the White House is right to, you know, hold the line on things like the fact that you can't dictate to other countries who they align with, and they're not going to dictate to NATO who they invite in. So we too have our red lines, but we're not going to be sending troops in, but there are other things we can do. But I think most importantly, the United States cannot be promising to do these things without talking to his allies. And that's something the White House, unlike the previous administration, has been very clear on. What's your thought on that, Rick? when, when When you look Vladimir Putin in the eyes, How cynical are you when you consider his motivations? Oh, I don't think you can trust a single thing that he says. He's a bona fide liar and killer. So, I mean, like, consider who you're dealing with. Uh, Moving right along. I mean, you know, (laughs) uh, but that's a practical way, right? A realist in diplomacy has to understand that they can't trust what he says. They can only trust what he does. And so... The, the diplomats will be looking for actions, not promises. And those actions, like what you were talking about earlier with Ambassador Pickering, withdrawal from the border of the troops that are stationed there, mm-hmm. um, some progress with the troops they already have in the Ukraine. we got to remember they've already invaded the Ukraine once. Those people are still there. There's certain conduct while they're in there that the Minsk agreements you know, set up and, and that Russians should be abiding by. So this is all a part of making countries like Russia, like Putin, uh, abide by Western norms that, uh, uh, frankly, have been adopted by most of the world. So what to do uh, with Crimea then? Is that part of 
going back to to Minsk or or or, or what's your thought there, Rick? Well, I, I think you you've got to engage in. Uh, a discussion about how to get the Russian troops out of Crimea, because part of the fundamental discussion that's taking place in these sessions is that Ukraine's a sovereign country, and that that was an illegal invasion. And and so, sure, uh, that will be part of the discussion with the Russian negotiators uh, as we we make these talks. And 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 that can be both an advantage for the the United States negotiators because they have a bargaining chip there. Uh, but, uh, you know, it makes it even that much more difficult to believe the Russians when they say to you that they are de-escalating unless yeah. they actually do. It's up to uh, to representatives uh, from NATO to carry the, the next session. Of course, U.S. representatives will be there, Jeannie. But does that decentralizing of talks help this administration? I think it does to a certain extent. And, and one of the big challenges here, as we've talked about, is the issue of energy. Europe, you know, is to a certain extent widely dependent on Russia for its energy. And those costs are up like 300 percent over last year. Yeah. So that is one of the reasons that this is happening now in the winter, because this is something that Putin understands. So I do think that it is going to be helpful to have them in there. It's going to take some of the pressure off of the United States to act unilaterally or to speak um, as we should not be doing by ourselves. We should be doing it with our allies. Well, we clearly have a lot to figure out here still. But a great conversation with Jeannie and Rick. On the only program you hear the signature panel, that's Sound On. Thanks as well to Ambassador Pickering and Ed Mills for being with us. A great conversation to start the week. I'll meet you back here this time tomorrow. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.